0: Hi everyone, my name is Hayden and I'm a fantasy hockey prospect writer who a few years ago was lucky enough to meet an experienced hockey card collector slash
1: investor. That would be me! I'm Kyle, a former NHL writer who now spends more time than I like to admit buying and selling hockey cards to make a little extra cash.
0: Obviously, this was too good of a match to not start collaborating, so between 2021 and 2022. I started giving Kyle unsolicited opinions and predictions regarding prospects whose hockey cards might make good investments.
1: (laughs) As the emails piled up, I decided to let Hayden's emails pass my spam filter and act on some of his tips. Now that we're a year or so on, we've decided to thoroughly and publicly reflect on the results, try and learn some lessons that could apply to anyone interested in card collecting.
0: In this conversation, we're going to be talking about some specific players as hockey cards, whose value rose or fell over the course of the year, and overall trends in the hockey
1: card market. We'll touch on some background info about the timing of card releases and the annual market ups and downs, and the influence of the Hockey Hall of Fame. And
0: of course, some specific player advice from me to Kyle for this next season of card purchases, even though I'm still waiting on overdue commission payments from last year.
1: Don't worry, I gave my debt collectors your home address. We have a lot to talk about, so let's jump on in now. Giddy up! To start out, I wanted to review the young guns that we talked about last year, which included the 2020-21 and 2021-22 Upper Deck Series. So it was a span of two years of young guns, And the idea with going through the young guns is that it's really the one rookie set that everyone is looking at. It's not the most expensive, but it's probably the biggest volume mover. So if you're looking for a rookie to sell or buy, it's usually going to be always available. So I thought that would be a good one to to go through and maybe pick up some deals and be able to sell them throughout the year at a markup so far. I think I bought 50 cards in total, 23 players, 50, 50 cards, bought some multiples of the ones that were really that you thought were going to be top, top gainers. And I've only sold three or four of them so far. So let's go through what I've sold. You can tell me whether I made a huge mistake, whether, whether they're going to continue rising or, or if uh, I made the right, the right call selling at a profit.
0: This sounds like fun, but I need to know in advance. Our relationship when it comes to hockey card advice giving has only really been happening for a couple years. Is it your standard procedure to hold on to rookie cards more than one to two years and wait on them in the, for the long haul? Or normally would you be like day trading waiting for those peaks and immediate valleys at the start of training camp and after training camp when the cuts come
1: well this is a really excellent question and i would say i don't have much of a habit but hopefully by the end of this limited series podcast we'll be able to figure out what is the best route to go because the ideal is that you always pick up like a a, an undiscovered star and they skyrocket to the top. So probably the best recent example of that is Tage Thompson. This was, this was probably your, your best advice you've ever given me. And that's not exclusive to hockey cards. That's just in, in life in general. We picked up Tage Thompson for between one and two dollars. I ended up selling him for 70 U.S. dollars, and he even went as high as 130, so that's the sort of pickup that you're always hoping for. But I think, on average, you're probably looking for those small peaks and valleys. And I think the I think the first example of the sale is is a good example of that. So the very first sale, which is my the the biggest sale of the of the year for in, in terms of these this Young Guns class, was uh, was Chinnikov. So bought for 150 sold for $6 because he had some ridiculous breakout in the preseason that he never replicated in the NHL season. So, of course, I want your opinion on this, but I think it's pretty clear this one was sold at the right time.
0: Absolutely. Chenikov's uh, a good prospect. He's probably going to be a sold NHLer, but given how much young talent – Columbus has, I don't think he projects to be a star for them. And not to mention that he plays for Columbus, and maybe we can get into this later in the podcast, but I am guessing that market plays a pretty significant factor when it comes to card value and card hype. So the fact that you could get a 4x return within
1: a month or two, that seems good to me. So he's not going to score 50 goals this season.
0: No, that's that's not on my bingo card. But okay. <laughs> who else is on the list? What other smart things did I recommend in the
1: past? Okay, you had recommended a VTech Vanacek. Bought for 368, sold for 427. Pretty marginal improvement, but but I decided to get rid of it early on. How's how's his future looking in the NHL? Well, I'd be
0: interested to know how high Banachek's value got over the course of the year. When did you make that sale for the 50 cent improvement? <laughs> 50 cent improvement? I do feel like Banachek's value likely peaked at some point last season. I don't know when in the season that would have been. And then once we hit the end of the season and playoffs, when Banachek went into a bit of a nosedive, and was mm-hmm. not trusted in the playoffs. And his future as the starter in New Jersey is now in jeopardy. I imagine that's being reflected in ownership of the card and interest in the card, but you'll have to tell me if that's true or if those kind of things actually would be reflected that quickly.
1: No, I think they would be reflected that cr- quickly. And I'm just looking back at when I actually sold him. And it was early on, it was November. So I don't know how he's how he's done over the course of the entire season, but he was he was up from when we when we purchased in October. Mm-hmm. That
0: makes sense. All right.
1: This one is tied to Landria, bought for 225, sold at 282. Uh again, a small, small profit. This one though, I think. Uh, on the list this is this is the one that I think I may might come to regret more than the others fortunately this was one that I loaded up on so I still have a couple in the back pocket but but where's where's this card going where's where's DeLandria going next year DeLandria is going up next year okay
0: uh, is my prediction and I think people maybe saw a little bit of that down the stretch and in the playoffs when I think The more the playoffs went on, the more people were impressed with Jason Robertson, Wyatt Johnson, and to a lesser degree, Ty DeLandria being able to handle more and more responsibility, being like a pretty legitimate depth player despite being a rookie. And he comes with a little bit of pedigree behind him. So the older Sagan and Ben get, the more time you're going to see guys like DeLandria getting in Dallas. And this is either going to be Helped or hurt next season when guys like Logan Stankoven and Maverick Bork start making bigger pushes for the roster. Because those are two of the top prospects that haven't played in the NHL yet. And Dallas is lucky enough to have two of them that will be competing very hard for the roster. Now the upside to this is a rising tide floats all ships. Having talented line mates is going to benefit Delandria for sure. The only downside is I don't think DeLandria has any top power play in his future in Dallas. Mm. There's just too many good people ahead of him right now and too many top prospects that are going to leapfrog him in the next year or two, even if DeLandria reaches his potential. There's just a lot of star power potentially in the system right now. So that is going to probably put a little bit of a cap on DeLandria's upside, but considering that you sold him at 282, I think there's definitely still lots of room
1: for that to grow next year. So I think this is a good segue. The next things that I had on my list were cards that I had held, and I think maybe I should have sold. Uh, and the next player I think I wanted to talk about after Delandria was Mason Marchment. So I bought him for two twenty three. So pretty much the exact same price as Ty Delandria. But early on in the season, I remember Marchment getting up to around $6. Now he's down to one. So a couple of questions. Is Marchment at $6, is that his peak? Or is he on the way up as well? I wouldn't be
0: banking on him to get over $6 in the short term. I think this is probably a poster boy or at least a case study for how cards work for injury-prone players. Marchment, his entire career, even before he made the NHL, was a Band-Aid boy. Mm-hmm. When he broke out on Florida, like he showed the absolute upside of what he can do, and it was great. But in Dallas, he just couldn't replicate it. He was getting hurt. He didn't really find a ton of chemistry in that lineup. And then that wasn't shown in the playoffs at all which would have been a great chance to maybe rebound some value but that wasn't there i think if you're still holding Marchment at this point like he's getting paid enough money that he's going to be on the dallas roster he's going to be in their middle six it's not like he's going to drop out of the nhl unless he suffers some chronic injuries so at this point even though it might be a sunk cost it's probably worth holding on for that to bounce back up. That being said, the only way I see it getting back towards its peak value up at the $6 or more is if he becomes one of the rare examples of a player that breaks into the NHL late and manages to actually have an upward trajectory. Probably the most relevant comparable for that right now, given the Stanley Cup final that just happened, is Carter Verhege. Also, Leafs pick Took too long, didn't get signed, mm. went to Florida, had a breakout. But Verhegi kept that momentum going. Like It's pretty rare cases for guys to break in that late, but not just stagnate right away and actually to keep growing. And then Verhegi got boosted even more by a strong playoff run, which I mentioned earlier is something that Marchman really could have done to help you out, given mm-hmm. the $5 you've lost out on. Luckily... Dallas seems like a team that's going to be in the playoffs for the next several years. So there's going to be lots of opportunities for Marchment to have that for Hagee like streak. If you want him to rebound.
1: Okay. So I will be holding at $1 with my Mason Marchment before I go on to the next two holds. If you're stocking up on cards for next season, are you buying Mason Marchment at $1 tied to DeLandria at $2, which is their current value.
0: For a longer-term hold, I'm still stocking up on DeLandria. I just think he has nowhere to go but up, whereas Mason Marchment, I think, in all probability, he's going to max out as this third-line role he's in now as an overpaid middle sixer. But DeLandria... Has the potential to be a top six player on a solid team if he ends up down the road playing with a Logan Stankoven or a Rupe Hints or Jason Robertson as like a complimentary winger. That uh, those point totals can jump pretty fast.
1: All right, okay. Next one on the hold list is Kalen Addison, bought for one seventy. He Reached around four dollars at the beginning of the season when the hype machine is is kind of at its peak at the beginning of the season now he's about 180 so a bit of a wash is this a card you hold or do you get rid of it I don't
0: see how the value is going to go down it jumped up to four because he had a good run and now Minnesota's again a competitive team should stay competitive but they lost Matt Dumba so now Kalen Addison's only going to be playing a barrel of more opportunities to impress. I think you hold on and try and hope he makes it up to that $3 or $4 mark again. If you're trying to project someone like Addison, what their card values would look at, if you're willing to put in the research that I was not willing to put in before <laughs> recording this, it would be to look at what the card values looked like for other guys on semi-competitive American teams of these kind of solid defenders that aren't super flashy, but put up okay numbers. Some of the guys that came to mind there were Philip Ronick, who spent a lot of time in Detroit in a top four role, putting up decent numbers, kind of impressing, never really reaching star status, but being pretty solid. Another guy before getting traded to Boston and becoming a star, but Hampus Lindholm, spent a lot of time in Anaheim a lot of time, just being pretty good. I'd be curious to know what their card value trajectories looked like early in their careers when it became pretty evident clearly for both of them that they were going to be good players and solid NHL players.
1: That's a good thought. And first of all, I, I will say it's fairly inconsiderate that you're not willing to put in the research time to benefit my card collection. And secondly, it's pretty typical that defensemen don't do well in the hockey card market and there's really only a small handful of defensemen in the last few years that have really had pretty solid value the the big one of course is Kale McCarr after the Stanley Cup winning season everyone sort of thought that he was far and away the next best defenseman of course over this season his his values have taken a pretty significant hit, and it's going to be interesting to see if he comes back to where where he was. But other than that, there's not a lot of defensemen that really generate much much card interest. There's Adam Fox, Charlie McAvoy to an extent, uh, even even uh, you know Quinn Hughes a little bit, but their values are pretty pretty far down compared to any of the top point producing forwards. So that's all to say when when you're looking even further down into the middle of the defense core, it's, it's pretty hard to get a good return on, on a defenseman. All right. And the last one, facility pod Colson bought for 11 50 now probably reached around $12 now two dollars and 70 cents so he's fallen off a cliff what do you do with this card i think all i can do is cross my fingers and hope cross your fingers and pray did i advise buying at that price i think i was caught up in the hype and you didn't dissuade me from it but but i don't think i don't think you are squarely to blame on that one so
0: i I was still so young and naive i didn't know how crazy 1150 was. I <laughs> saw it and I thought that's a quarter pounder with cheese meal. Yeah. Reasonable to me. But now that I know that you're, you're selling China car for $6, which is like when you have the right coupon, you can maybe get just a quarter pounder of cheese on its own for that. So it, my perspective has changed.
1: Well, that's good. And we certainly don't want to be so frivolous with our 1150 in today's economy so so that's good i'm glad i'm glad there's a lessons learned there anything else before we move on to the next section
0: what would you say the lessons learned have been for the guys that you decided to hold when in hindsight maybe should have been sold for Marchmont, should we say injury prone players need a little bit more of attention when they're hitting those peaks and valleys?
1: Yes, I I would say that. I would say that I was not astute enough to know just how injury prone uh, he was. Another person on the injury prone list uh, that I think we, I I don't think I had him on the notes, but is uh, Hendrix Lapierre. He is fairly injury prone as well. Uh, And I think we actually talked about this last year. It was probably the top reason to stay away still still purchased a few with with the hope that might see might see a peak at some point in one of the healthy stretches but i would say the the biggest lessons learned especially for some of these top prospects but when they're in sort of a top to mid-level prospect i would say sell at the peak and and don't don't wait because the hype is very powerful at the beginning of the season. And you could generally see pretty much all of these players that we talked about last year. They they kind of crested at in October and November, and most of them never really recovered after that. And in fact, I think had I think we were even late to the game buying in October. If we had if we had bought mid July, uh, that would have that would have been an even better time, and really could have capitalized on it in in October and November.
0: So would you suggest that maybe the best way to go about this is to have kind of two phases of hockey card buying? One is the young guns, where you can kind of try and catch that early season hype or early career hype, catch those crests early in maybe their first season. And then when it comes to guys that you think could be hitting the next stage of their careers, almost put them in a different category entirely. Guys that have established careers, aren't rookies, but are still relatively young that you think could take a next step or hit a new benchmark
1: that increases their card value. I think that's a really, really good way to look at it. Uh, You've got sort of your mid, mid mid-level, mid to top level young guns. Those are the ones that you're going to watch for the peaks and valleys, flip them when you can. Uh, But I think the, most probably the most exciting and the most lucrative thing to do if, if you're successful at it is to really catch those superstars just as they're coming into the next phase of their career. And and talking about superstars, I'm talking maybe the top five, maybe top 10 players in the NHL and even Connor McDavid in his first few years, there was certainly some concern about his injury status and whether he would be able to have a healthy, healthy career, but he was well into his career on a you know 1.5 points per game pace, uh, and his card values were still you know three to four hundred dollars. They're now about two thousand. And so, if you can really catch that next player, it seems like it should have been easy for McDavid. But uh, there, there were a lot of questions about his his ability to have a long and healthy career.
0: And I don't think anyone was worrying at the time about is McDavid still going to be good? I think everyone knew McDavid was still going to be good. But when you're talking about card values that were already in the two and 300s, that becomes all of a sudden an investment you have to think a little bit more about and make those considerations about, okay, how safe of a bet is this that I'm making?
1: Is how
0: realistic? Is it really that this card value is going to go up even more from $300. Oh, it turns out McDavid can actually do whatever he wants now.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I'm just curious if you want to quickly go through a, uh, almost a rapid fire round where you say, whether you'd, you'd invest or stay away because these players are at that, at their peak. So, so I looked at that same young guns class and looked at who had the biggest upside by percentage value increase and who had the or percentage increase and who had the biggest upside by by value increase. So the top players for percentage increase were Thomas Novak, Joseph Wall, and Taylor Radish. Are you buying any of those right now or are they at their peak?
0: Thomas Novak went up from 20 cents to a buck eighty. I am buying that. I think there is I think that's going up even further. Joseph Wall went up from one ninety nine to eight forty five. I am not buying that. I think that is a crest. And Taylor Radish sixty cents up to three dollars. And this one I am going to pop out on because it depends completely on what Chicago does this off season. If they bring in. If they weaponize their cap space and they bring in some decent but overpaid wingers to play beside Bedard, then I am not investing anymore in Taylor Radish. If they go for the tank again to try and get another top pick to play with Bedard and they don't use any of their excess cap space on guys that are going to play right beside Bedard, I am holding on to Radish. I think he hit 20 goals last year, and there's no reason he can't do that again.
1: Okay, that sounds good. Uh, Before we leave that and go on to the top movers by value, why wasn't Thomas Novak on your list of hits for last year?
0: That's a good question. I did not think that on a team that featured Philip Tomasino that Novak was going to be the breakout star last year. I didn't just didn't have that confidence that that roster would have room for them both, and if it did, that he would be the one getting those points. But he proved me wrong.
1: Now you mentioned Tomasino; he was one of the key focuses of last year in the Young Guns pickup. How are your feelings about him this year?
0: I'm still holding. Grandlin's gone. Niederreiter's gone. There's opportunities available. Depending on which direction the preds go, there's going to be good ice time available for Novak to continue his breakout and Tomasino to
1: follow in his footsteps. I am I'm holding. Great. So then by value, the top movers were Tim Stutzla, $40 to $58, Jason Robertson, $35 to $50, and Stuart Skinner, $5 to $19. I can tell that
0: you want my opinions on two of those players. <laughs> one of them, you don't give a shit about what I say.
1: <laughs> well, uh, I made up my mind on one of them, and that's that's true. So we talked earlier about
0: catching those guys at stages of their career where you know they're good. Are they going to hit a next level? And I think Stutzel is that guy. I think even though he jumped up from forty to sixty last year, I think that could get even higher.
1: The one thing I'll say about Stutzel is, he, I don't have the exact stats on this, but I think if you look at the players under, what was I think the like if you look at the top twenty scores in the NHL from from last year, he's he's the youngest of all of them. And he so, you know, by by that logic, you know, maybe maybe it means he has the biggest opportunity to grow into his game a little bit more. I don't know how much there is to that. But if you think that youth is is important and and I think in, in many cases for hockey cards, it it is. And you've seen Kaprizov's values, I think, really. Fell off when people started to realize I mean, this guy is twenty seven. He doesn't have as much runway to get better, um, and he doesn't have as much runway to collect career points. But but Stutzel, I think, because of his because of his age, gives him an extra opportunity. Are you uh, fact checking me on uh, Kaprizov's age? Because I might have made it up. No,
0: I was actually fact checking the age of another player that I had in mind when thinking about Stutzloh, when I thought about a very talented and high pick winger for a Canadian team that had good value right away, got good, went up from 40 to 60, probably. And if you were lucky enough to hang on to this player until they were 25 and they had a breakout season, I'm talking about Matthew Tichuk. Yeah. I'm guessing there were a lot of people in a similar situation to Stutzler in terms yeah. of whether or not this was a guy to, to hold or sell. Cause it's not like to Chuck was ever bad. He was always solid. I'm guessing he was in that $60 range in Calgary, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but when a guy that good, and I do think Stutzler is that good hits that next gear in the right situation, Stutzler can hit a hundred points. Mm-hmm. and um, that's going to take him to the next level that if you look at to chuck cards now i'm imagining they hit a new level
1: yeah they certainly did Kachuk is a bit of a weird example he's one of these players whose hobby values took a long time to catch up to his his point production and even in the early stages of the playoffs his his values weren't what you might expect them to be. And I, I don't really know why that is. But I since since he made the Stanley Cup finals, finally his his values have caught up to some of his other comparable players. Um, and so definitely you you are happy if you held on to those katra k- k- cards. But it did take it did take a while for him to get there for some some reason that is that is kind of unclear.
0: And that's good to know. And, and mention it at the start of that ramble that so Chuck's twenty five, Stutzla is what twenty two. I don't actually know this 21. off the top of my head. Yeah. So, call it three more years. See if yeah. he hits hundred points. Yeah. Call it then.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well come But back I'm a
0: believer. I'm a believer. I, I'm not scared off by Stutzla at sixty right now.
1: Great. Okay. That's good to know. That'll definitely be a pickup. Uh Jason Robertson and Stuart Skinner are the last two on that list.
0: I mean, I'll just do Skinner quickly. I'm 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 not a big believer. But I do imagine if McDavid ever takes the Oilers to a Stanley Cup, then he'll be valuable as part of the full set. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Is that how sets work when teams win cups? Uh I think the
1: <laughs> I think the backup goalie is probably. Uh, even even below the fourth line de- or the, the fourth or third pairing defenseman. So, but you never know. You never know Okay, knew. well, platoon I'm, going?
0: I'm staying away from Skinner at 20. I'm okay. personally not a believer. Seems like a nice guy. I don't know. Um, Great mustache. Jason Robertson at 50 is a very tough one because I like Robertson a lot. I mean, I like him as much as Stutzla, but. Give me a little bit of an education here on how much location matters. Like we didn't hear about Jason Robertson much until this season Mm -hmm. as hockey watchers in Canada. I was aware of Jason Robertson because of my prospect writing history and he was very good last year, but until he hit like the like star status this year being one of the top goal scorers in the league. Now all of a sudden we start hearing about him a lot more in the MVP conversation. So would I be right in assuming it takes a little bit more to see that value hit happen for a player that doesn't get as much coverage like Robertson?
1: Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. There's, there's always a value associated with exposure and with, with that comes Canadian teams. So for me as the casual NHL fan that I am, Jason Robertson wasn't really on my radar until this year, but this year, as you said, I mean, he was, he was, he was all over. Everyone was pretty excited about him. Certainly there was a lot of talk around his, his cards and his his young guns. For me, I think there's been so much hype with Jason Robertson this year. It's hard for me to see this card going up too much. I think, you know, last year obviously would have been a great buying opportunity for this card at this point. It, it may it may go up I wouldn't be too surprised if it went up but it doesn't seem like that proposition risk reward proposition is there like it is for Stutzel so it, out of these three I think Stutzel's the clear winner for me especially after hearing that you're high on him as well I'm probably going to stay away from Robertson and Skinner and your money
0: <laughs> Have I mentioned to you before Kyle uh Dauber's rule of 200 NHL games
1: played? You have not. What is the rule?
0: So a lot of my hockey prospect writing work is done through Dauber prospects and Dauber hockey. So I have a lot of respect for Dauber's fantasy advice. One of his rules for players is that they tend to hit their offensive breakouts at around the 200 NHL games played mark. Now for exceptionally larger small players. I, I forget the exact thresholds, but I believe it's around 6'3 or 220 pounds, something like that for a large player, and 5'9 and below for small players. But for those players, his rule is 400 games rather than 200 games. But the majority of players, if you're looking in his fantasy guide's every year for breakout candidates it's usually players that are very near that 200 nhl games played mark and this seems like something that would be very useful for hockey card collecting purposes you mentioned earlier one of the biggest successes i ever gave to you and i still haven't seen commissions from is my tage thompson prediction and the season he broke out and put up 68 points in 78 games was the same season when he hit the 200 NHL games played mark now for him that actually might have come a little bit early given his size and that might have been reflected last year where he hit 300 games played and hit that next level of 94 points in 78 games so it worked there and another example is Tim Stutzla where Last season, hit a new level of ninety points in seventy-eight games played, and he passed that two hundred game threshold about three quarters of the way through the season. So this is something that I use regularly for fantasy hockey. So I highly recommend considering it here.
1: Yeah, that is that is an excellent rule, and that's definitely something that I'll use going forward in in my selections. Of course, one of the one of the challenges and one of the opportunities that that you face looking to invest in hockey cards, especially with players at the beginning of their career is uh, often players will come into the league uh, their very first season you know there's going to be a lot of hype for them. you want to you know so of course it's natural to to invest in some of those cards, but inevitably uh, the first first season or first couple of seasons, you know they're gonna not typically going to be getting the goals and point levels that are really going to jump them up in value so, the challenge there is to know, okay, how long do you want to hold on to these cards? Do you want to hold on? So they really have to, uh, a breakout season. You can capitalize on that. Or do you want to sell them because maybe they're not going to live up to the hype and you can, you can actually still, still get some of the money back for them. So, uh, so that's a really, really excellent, excellent rule. One, one player that's had probably, uh, you know, more hype than than any other notwithstanding Connor Bedard coming up uh, this season is uh, Alexei Lefrenier. And so I'm just looking at the stats now, noticing that he has passed the 200 games played mark. He's at 216 games played. And I think that's a big question in the hockey hobby right now is there's still a lot of carryover hype. Uh, On his cards, his cards are way more valuable than another player who is getting the same sorts of sort of point production as he is. So the question, I think, for, you know, I don't I don't have a lot of his cards, but if I did, the question would be, do I sell now and still capitalize on some of that hype overhang or do I wait for for the breakout season and looking to see that he's got 216 games played already uh, with the 200 games played benchmark that you've just mentioned? Uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna want to sell that pretty soon, and maybe wait for the beginning of the season to see how it shapes up. But uh, probably a good idea to divest of those cards. So that's a that's an excellent rule. I'm not too hard
0: on the exact 200 games played. I don't think Dauber is either. I think that's a general benchmark. I don't recommend dumping Lafreniere before the season starts. Definitely give him a little buffer room there to see if. breakout happens maybe 20 games late or 40 games late but by the end of this season he's going to be getting pretty close to 300 that's that would be a little bit worrying for me if it hasn't happened yet
1: okay so then when i pick up my 10 lafreniere young guns rookie cards the commission works both ways uh you'll 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 pay me back a little bit if i lose any money on that
0: I will pay you back as much as you have paid me back so far.
1: <laughs> All right, deal. So this is our section on the overall state of cards, and of the twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty two Young Guns. That's what's next on the list. This is a meaty meaty debate because there's lots, lots that can contribute to this. But in general, so when we did our initial. Review of the Young Guns sets last October. The total value, so for each card um, in all the sets, came out to around one thousand eighty-seven dollars. So on June thirteenth, just a week ago, it was seven hundred twenty-nine dollars. So there's a handful of reasons that we could be in this slump, and I think every year you see a post-playoff slump. There has been a little bit of a downward trend in the hockey card market overall uh and it could just be that this crop of rookies isn't living up to expectations the last theory which i'm curious to get your opinion on is that no one's spending money on hockey cards because they're all saving up for Connor bedard so it's probably a combination of all four of those reasons does do any of those seem outlandish to you or what is there is there a clear answer here for why we're seeing a 25% decrease in card value?
0: All of those make sense to me. I did make a couple observations. One being that the card value total you put together at 1087, or sorry, 1087, that was done on October 7th. So it seems to me like that's pretty close to when those crests happen. Yes. When are cards, when would this set have been first released and first available for purchase?
1: So the cards that we looked at, there were a total of four sets. And that should be a straightforward answer as to when they were released. But because of COVID and supply chain issues and Upper Deck moving their production facility from somewhere in the States to... Italy and having to ocean ship a bunch of cards over and having some delays associated with that. I don't know exactly when these cards were were released. I, I could I could go back and 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 find out. But let's say that each of them, sort of in a in a regular year, your upper deck series one is going to be released in around November, and your Upper Deck Series Two is going to be released sometime around february or march so we would have had four sets that kind of rolled in probably probably later than that there would have been delays to the sets that we were looking at but they would have been staggered by you know six months or something like that
0: so these cards that you were pulling the values of in october would have been released six months before that potentially
1: something like that and some of them would have been on the market for you know 18 months to 2 years
0: Okay. So in that case, I think evaluating this the drop from ten eighty seven to seven twenty nine might be a little bit misleading if you were were picking it right at a crest that naturally happens in terms of mm-hmm. height. So I think maybe that's just even further to the lesson learned to watch for those peaks because that is that's like a thirty percent drop. That being said, postseason slump seems like a perfectly good explanation as well this probably amounts to like a more dramatic instance for young guns i would imagine because to my memory players in the young gun sets haven't played a pretty major factor on teams that have taken long playoff runs it's pretty stereotypical for teams in the playoffs to have more of that veteran presence not have those young guys in huge roles robertson also obviously being a bit of an outlier there but so there's a good chance that you go a few months at the end of the season without young gun cards being on people's minds and those players being at the top of the headlines so I'm guessing that's a part of it as well
1: Mm. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, I know I mentioned earlier, I was too lazy to do research in preparation for this recording. I did do a little bit of research on the closest thing I could think of to figuring out if there was a trading card slump. I went to PokemonWizard.com. Oh, wow. And saw that. Incredible research. Yeah. And all of the Pokemon card set releases since 2020 have actually seen pretty significant decreases in value since their release, indicating a potential downward trend in trading card value there. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to know any more about the Pokemon trading card market than I do about the hockey card collectible card
1: market. My my real thought on that is it, it is a... And I think there's probably a bit of a downward trend in the, in the market in general, which is interesting that you noticed that on some Pokemon cards as well. That being said, like I think 2020 to 21 was the absolute peak. I I don't know if we're getting back to that anytime soon. So I think we'll probably see some sort of general slump, but the not the 1087 to 729. That's too significant. But like you said, the thing to do is to check back in on October 7th uh, of this year. And see see where we're at there. So,
0: pop quiz: I believe the record for highest hockey card sale was Wayne Gretzky three years ago for three point seven five million dollars. How much do you think the world record is for the highest Pokemon card sale?
1: Oh boy, I don't even know whether go, whether to go higher or lower. I'll say. million?
0: Very, very cute of you to think that hockey card memorabilia might hold more of a worldwide value than Pokemon. But it's a generational thing, I understand. The correct answer is approximately $5.8 million.
1: Wow. So we're doing the wrong podcast, I guess. Okay,
0: Hockey Hall of Fame. I was under the impression you wanted to talk about, from a card collector standpoint, who are some guys to be thinking about right now that maybe aren't getting a lot of hype?
1: Uh, My intention was with active players who no one's really paying attention to. Well, people are paying attention to, but probably not in the Hall of Fame sort of way. But they're going to be locks into the Hall of Fame, which typically boosts their value pretty significantly. I tried to
0: pick out a few guys that aren't going to be so obvious and boring, and no one would ever want to listen to it. My first pick, the most boring out of the people I have written down, is Afghani Malkin. I Mm. do think he's a guy that gets appreciated a lot in the hockey community, but I think once all is said and done, he's going to be remembered even more fondly. He has some hardware to his name. He has some Stanley Cups to his name. He's had a long career may be all spent with one team which seems to be appreciated by the hall of fame committee malkin seems like a guy that i think belongs in the
1: hall of fame once he's done yeah that's that's a great one and one of the interesting things about malkin is there's a couple of hockey card collectors that i that i listen to and one of their rules in hockey card collecting is that each team only gets one star that gets the hobby love. And so on Pittsburgh, obviously that's, that's Sidney Crosby. But I do think you're right that as people look back on the career and look back on the statistics and accolades and hardware, he really stacks up as uh, a top caliber player. So I'm, I'm with you. I think that he is worth investing in. So I'm uh, going to take a look at some of those cards and see if I can pick them up. All right, I have a couple more names,
0: but I want to give you a chance first. Who's who are you looking at for guys that are now long-term investments, not because of their youth, but because of their likelihood to get into the Hall of Fame?
1: Well, just because you brought up Malkin, who has played second fid- fiddle to Sidney Crosby, I'm going to bring up the very obvious one, but. Leon Drysidle, I think if you look at his card values compared to Connor McDavid's, um, I don't think you'll find anyone who tells you that Drysidle's card should be more expensive than than Connor McDavid's, but there's a significant gulf there. And I think that Drysidle might even be a better investment. He, over the last five years, had scored, has scored more goals than anyone, including McDavid, most collectors look at goals as a typical value indicator and so i think you know of course if his career continues um, anywhere near the same rate as it has been so far he's a lock for the hall of fame and because he's playing in mcdavid's shadow i think that that makes his cards much more affordable and i think over the long term they're going to gain some value
0: and I think there's a stat that there's a very, very small handful of players to hit the 500 goal mark and not make it to the Hall of Fame. Yes. And Tricidal seems like someone who will be hitting that in his career. Yes. So increases your statistics even more. I was not considering 27-year-olds when you suggested this topic of Hall of Fame watch for card investors. That shows, I guess, what my attention span is relative to yours in terms of investment patience. Because my next pick, thirty-seven years old, they have three more years on their contract. I'm talking about Arizona Coyotes legend Shea Weber.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Now this is definitely a on the fence situation. I do not think Shea Weber is a lock for the Hall of Fame, but I do think. He'll get talked about for it.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't know
0: exactly when he's going to be eligible, but I know Marion Hossa was inducted last year, which was the last year of his contract, even though he right. had not played in several years. Right. That all being said, no Stanley Cups, no individual awards because he came second twice for the Norris and third place another time because he played at the same time as Duncan Keith and Zdeno Chára, So unfortunately, that definitely doesn't help his cause, not having any Norris's, But three years in a row, getting first place votes and finishing in the top three, I do think he's going to be remembered. He had a couple of long playoff runs with Nashville that I think will be remembered. And winning gold for Canada, knowing what we know about the committee that names the Hockey Hall of Fame. I do think that's a name that will probably be out there.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. I think, first of all, I'm surprised he doesn't have any significant hardware to speak of. That's that's a bit of a surprise to me. I do think he's definitely worthy of consideration for the Hall. In terms of actual hockey card pickups, I think it's the defenseman the defenseman rule that scares me
0: when you said that i assumed that you meant for like the active popular current hype players but i'm interested to hear that that's also the case for
1: retired players there's a very small group of sought after retired defensemen um however even like ray bork who's you know probably in the I don't know top three retired defensemen. Not a highly sought after card. I mean, sought after, but not not anywhere uh, near the the realm of some of the forwards of that era. So, so stacking that up against Shea Weber, when of course Bork has Stanley Cup and who knows how many Norris trophies to his name. That one, that one is a bit of a tough sell from from an investment standpoint for me. That's interesting.
0: Well, I'm glad that the last name on my list is a forward then. And that's now three-time cup winner Phil Kessel. Oh! Another player without significant awards to his name, however, has the NHL Ironman record Mm -hmm. and has three Stanley Cups. Do you think that's going to be enough to get him in the conversation in five years' time, considering that he's never been a superstar,
1: I think yes, it it is. Uh, what do you have his point totals handy for for Hall of Fame? I think, like you said, that five hundred goal mark is is really important. If you crack the one point per game average. That's another significant one. Uh, anything over over a thousand points, I think, gets you in the in the conversation. Obviously, there's exceptions there. So, so, but I would imagine he's got to be over a thousand points. Maybe not. Bill Kessel is eight points away from a thousand. Okay,
0: so he's so- right at the thousand point threshold. His current goal total is four hundred and thirteen so he is certainly not reaching 500 mm-hmm. if he returns next year he'll probably reach a thousand though and he is well below the point per game mark as well so currently sitting at 992 points in
1: 1206 games Hmm, that's a bit of a tough one um i i definitely think he's in that conversation if he cracks a thousand points that's i mean that certainly helps three stanley cups is significant and he also had a lot of adversity to overcome. I think that is probably looked upon highly from from the Hall of Fame committee as well. If I had to bet on it, I would say I would say Phil Kessel gets in.
0: Now from a hockey card investment opportunity is is that a player that you think is worth investing in with the idea that if he does make the hall of fame, there would be a bump
1: there. That's a good question. Um, And let me just disclose my bias here is I do have a Phil Gessel young gun. Um, So of course I'm hoping that yes is the answer, but am I buying another one? I don't think so. Uh, It's the, it's the low point per game total in general that that kind of scares me away from that something else that i think is pretty interesting in hockey card collecting is what happens to a player once they retire there seem to be some players whose notoriety continues to increase and they're still part of the conversation in the hockey universe and there's other other players uh who have really exceptional careers and really exceptional numbers and they just kind of disappear and that of course has an impact on their value so is Phil Kessel someone that's going to remain in the hockey conversation I probably guess no but what do you think about that
0: I don't think we will be hearing from Phil Kessel once he retires but I think people will be talking about Phil Kessel for a long time after he retires. Okay. That's what I don't know which one of those is better for keeping card hype value alive, but I have a feeling there are gonna be some pretty fun stories that come out about Phil Kessel once he's retired and people aren't afraid of uh, affecting his next contract to keep that <laughs> Iron Man streak going.
1: Well that is that is definitely worth worth quite a bit then.
0: Do you have any other picks, any guys you're watching for Hall of Fame value boosts?
1: Uh the only other one, and again, you're you're probably going to call out the fact that I'm picking someone way too young to be in the in the hall of fame conversation right now, but just looking at people who I don't think get quite as much credit as they deserve. And you can, I'm curious, you, you may, you may think that this person gets more credit than they deserve, but I think that Mitch Marner is undervalued from a hockey card value standpoint, just looking at his points per game and his age and the length of career he's got ahead of him. I think he has a pretty good chance to get into the hall of fame, have, you know, upwards of the 1200 point mark or something, something like that, which really launches you into uh Pretty high high desirability in terms of your cards. So uh what do you think about what do you think about Mitch Marner And again, I know he's he's young for that conversation, but he does seem undervalued considering his points per game. That is a good
0: point. Uh I mean we talked about the one star per team earlier and the shadow effect. There's probably an effect there of having to play on the same team as Austin Matthews, who Also, way too young to be having a stupid conversation about Hall of Fame, but if he can keep scoring goals at the rate he is, he's on pace to well exceed 500 in his career and likely be the Leafs franchise's top ever goal scorer if he signs Mm -hmm. another long contract with them. And that would make him essentially a lock. So the shadow effect on Marner would be interesting, do you think that there needs to be a worry about whether or not that point per game threshold or 500 goal threshold is going to hold up in the future in an era where we had like 15 players top hundred points last year?
1: Yeah, I, I do. And I think that's, that's a pretty, pretty legitimate fear. And the only, the only counter that I would have with, that as it comes to Marner is you're looking at sort of players in his, in his age range. I think he's around in the, in the top five players in, in points per game. And so whether or not we do see that shift of is, is 500 goals enough or is 12, you know, I don't know, a thousand to 1200 points enough to get into the hall. I still think uh, from a production standpoint, he's, he's really, in that superstar production level.
0: That's fair. It's going to be interesting how much we talk less about superstar producers, the more and more prevalent they become. Maybe it was a one-off, one or maybe five years from now, there's 30 players with a hundred points. Mm-hmm. You knows? Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about the ones that got in a week
1: before. Okay, so there was a goalie-heavy class. Uh, Henrik Lund- Lundqvist got in his first ballot year, and then also Tom Barrasso and Mike Vernon made it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a, a triple triple goalie class, and then the two skaters to get in. Uh, one was Pierre Turgeon, who has been passed over. I think this is, I think this is his thirteenth eligible season, twelfth or thirteenth um, or eligible year. I think the big knock on him being that he hasn't won a Stanley cut didn't have a lot of individual awards but had a really really solid point production um, and then Carolyn Ouellette also got into the into the Hall of Fame so I think those, those are the five main player inductees and from a card collecting perspective probably not all that exciting and the big reason for that is goalies, even more than, almost more than defensemen, are really difficult to collect and get good investment value back. I I I think the one exception to that is Patrick Waugh. And I honestly don't even know if there is another exception to that. I think Waugh was so dominant. Well, probably, maybe maybe uh, Brodeur, you could argue too. Um, but Waugh was so dominant for... For a time, and to some extent, Brodeur was as well. I don't think we see that from goalies as much. Maybe it's just my uh, my my bias of, of living in the time that we do. But it's what are your thoughts? Do we have do we have a goalie as dominant as Patrick Wah was in his prime in league right now? No, definitely not.
0: As someone with very little hockey card knowledge and background, I would have assumed that the number one factor for goalie card value is cup wins. Because I'm imagining that at this point, if someone's going into the hall of fame, they are memories at this point and people who are buying them are collectors. So I would imagine those are people putting together cup team collections, maybe hall of fame team collections, things like that. Does that, jive with what you see in the hockey card market or are goalies just even with a lot of cups under their belt just hard to value and hard to predict
1: i think that is a huge factor cups con smythe probably really at the 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 bottom line is is most wins uh, similar to how players are largely val- valued based on their goal production i think goalies you would you would probably say are largely valued on their wins production, but particularly thinking back to the era of Patrick, why I think there is a large factor of nostalgia that, that plays into it. And uh, again, thinking, thinking back to the time when he was in his prime, he really did have that air of being one of the only, or one of the, one of the two or three dominant goalies of, of his time. So I think if you're if you're looking at that era, he's really the the number one goalie to to go to. Um, and his rookie card, I think from 1986 is perhaps one of the most sought after goalie rookie cards of of sort of the you know that would be sort of a vintage era.
0: Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is the new class of inductees, not really worth spending a lot of time on on a hockey card valuation podcast.
1: Is that right? Yeah, I don't think so. I'll, although I will I will spend just two more minutes. Uh one one is on Hendrik Lundqvist. Uh I I'm gonna I'm gonna spend some time on this because I sold one of his rookie cards probably a couple years ago. And I thought, uh, I wonder if this is gonna come back to uh bite me if he gets into the hall of fame or when he gets into the hall of fame. Uh, So his, his rookie card is relatively scarce. I don't see a ton of, a ton of recent activity on it, but it has been sold on the comp website 12 times in, uh, in the last three months. So that is a bit of an uptick from what some of the previous quarters have been, but not at a huge premium over what I had, sold it for which was i think 110 us dollars or something like that it's probably worth noting too that pierre turgeon's rookie card it's seen a a pretty significant uptick in sales on the comp website so 14 over the last quarter and he sort of averages out to about seven or eight so it's not not blowing anything out of the water but you can definitely see the hall of fame inductee effect on on at least two of these cards here definitely sounds
0: like Hall of Fame time would be one of the last peak times to sell on that investment. If the activity is that low per quarter, and then you see it double around Hall of Fame time, I have to imagine that just starts trickling down from here.
1: Yeah, I think so. And the the only other thing to consider is how the card scarcity changes over, over time. So if you have a bunch of collectors hoarding all of these cards and they get harder and harder to come by as time goes on. That's perhaps the one reason that they would increase significantly in value. But in terms of what a player is actually accomplishing, you're absolutely right. The hall of fame is kind of the last thing that they, that they can accomplish in terms of individual awards. And it's, it's probably a good time to sell. Do you have any Pierre
0: Turgeon cards in your collection?
1: No Pierre Turgeon cards in my collection, but but it might be it might be a target, even though it is the wrong time to buy his his rookie card. Uh, I think if you're if you're buying it, just kind of raw in a not so perfect graded condition, I think it goes for about two dollars, so wouldn't wouldn't break the bank.
0: What's the hockey card market like for female players?
1: That is a great question, and as I was going through the. Hall of Fame class. I was thinking, boy, it's really embarrassing that I don't have much to say about the female hockey card uh, market because because I really have very little knowledge on on the subject. And I was hoping I wouldn't have to embarrass myself trying to make something up about it. But since you asked, there are there are some cards out there, and I think the one that's coming to mind right now is Tim Hortons has a fairly popular series of cards that comes out uh every every year actually i think they have a couple of different series and so their recent set they released 100 players i think 50 active players sort of 25 male legends and then 25 female legends so i know you know that's that's one place you could you could go and as much as tim horton's cards don't don't sound that impressive i did pick up a few packs this year and they have a really I think interesting look to them and I I do like the fact that they have sort of this range range of players from current to legends uh, and including some of the some of the current female players too. So so that's a good set to look at but um but in terms of the mainstream hockey release sets most of them are still focused on the NHL. Yeah, it would be interesting
0: if that picked up in the future like you said if the premier women's leagues started taking off more and having more popularity. You would think that because of the scarcity factor that you mentioned with some classic cards of the older players getting into the hall of fame, that that same rule should apply for kind of the first waves of the hockey cards of these female hockey players. Uh, I wonder if down the road, when it inevitably does catch on and does take off, if is this a situation where you'd want to get in early and get those classic first cards that were available of some of these players.
1: Yeah, I I absolutely think so. And one thing that I think we're kind of seeing in the in the hobby is that it's really diversifying. And so a lot of people will have their own collections about what they what they collect in their in their personal collection. So maybe it's, you know, the typical ones would be Hall of Fame players or goalies or People, LA like players on the Montreal Canadiens, but more and more, um, there's just a little bit more nuance into some of that. And so I was listening to a hockey card collector who I think is a professor at UBC. And his goal is to collect every rookie card of every Indigenous player that's played in the NHL. And so he has a website dedicated to the history of some of these cards. And he's worked with Upper Deck to create some sets that are featuring Indigenous players uh, that haven't been heavily featured in some of the card sets. So I, I think you're absolutely right that it's it's only a matter of time before women's collections become a little bit more mainstream, and now is probably a good time to to get in on some of those cards. Should we do some quiz time?
0: Yeah, make me look... Even dumber.
1: We talked about some of the 2020 to 21 and 21 to 22 Upper Deck Young Guns. We have not reviewed the 2022-23 Upper Deck Young Guns. And so you are completely blind to the values of the Young Guns cards. You haven't been spending hours on the weekend surfing CMC or eBay checking out the prices. Is that true?
0: Oh, I'm going into this completely blind.
1: Okay, excellent. So you just have nothing but your hockey prospect knowledge to go on, which is significant, Uh, but this this will really put it to the test. I'm going to give you six players, and I want you to put them in order of what their Young Guns cards are valued at. You'll have to take your best guess based on performance, hype, whatever else you think is going to contribute to the value of these cards as it is on the ComC website. Are you ready for the list of six?
0: I'm ready for the list of six.
1: Arbor Chekai, Andrey Kuzmenko, Wyatt Johnston, yuri Slavkovsky, Shane Wright, and Maddie Beniers.
0: I have two questions before I start trying to put these in order. Did you pull these values before or after Dallas was eliminated from the playoffs.
1: Excellent question. Yes, the date will have significant impact. So this is after the playoffs had completed. Uh, June fourteenth, twenty twenty three, is when these when these prices were taken.
0: So that is very importantly before Maddie Beniers won the Calder Trophy for top rookie.
1: This this is true. This is true.
0: Okay, okay. so I'll have to take that into consideration because. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that was a nice little bump for Mr. Veneers.
1: It, right. it might have been, although the counterargument to that is everyone expected him to win, so that was potentially baked into the value. That's a good point.
0: Even though he didn't have a very good or notable season last year, I think the first overall pick factor, plus being a Montreal Canadiens prospect, Slavkowski has to be at the top of that list in terms of value. Is that right?
1: You're absolutely right. He is far and away the top uh, value in that list. Uh, and then the value kind of gets pretty, pretty close together after that. Do you have a guess on who's number two?
0: Normally I would be leaning towards Shane or Maddie Veneers just because of how much hype they both have, not to mention Veneers's colder win and the hype pretty much entirely down the stretch of the season that he was going to win it, but just based on the Canadian market and the likability factor, I I think I'm gonna take a swing on Kuzmenko at number two.
1: Yeah, that's a good guess, and at some point in the year that would have been correct. But Kuzmenko has had a bit of a fall from grace where value is concerned so kuzmenko is not number two you want to take another stab
0: it's not kuzmenko i'm gonna go with one of writer veneers i'll lean towards maddie veneers but are either of those correct
1: neither of those is falling in at at second place so you have wi-fi or johnson to decide between now
0: Okay, so it's not about the best player. It's not about the most upside. Is it a Montreal Canadiens factor? Is it Wi-Fi?
1: I'm afraid it's not. You are down to your last
0: choice. Good game. Thanks, Kyle. (laughs)
1: Uh, So
0: Wyatt Johnson, number two, is it how close is this grouping here? Like, am, am I saying something really stupid by thinking Wright or Veneers should be ahead of him or is that is it all a pretty tight knit group?
1: No, not not at all. You're you're not saying anything, anything wild. Uh, so Johnson, Veneers, Wi-Fi and Wright are all pretty tightly bunched in the 40 to 45 dollar range. So very unfair of me to get you to put these in in exact order. Uh, but what what you have in the in, in that range, um, you've got Johnson at forty five, Veneers at forty one fifty, Wi-Fi at forty, and Wright at forty. So so they're they're pretty they're pretty bunched up. I would say, you know, just to just to take a guess, I would expect Wright or Veneers to be in second place come the start of the season, but. We can we can revisit that and see see if we're right on that. So Kuzmenko is rounding it out and at last place. I just mentioned that the the right Wi-Fi Benier's Johnson group went from 40 to 45, Slavkovsky's at 80. Any guesses on the value of Kuzmenko at number six on that list?
0: Considering that you said that at one point during the year you would have been number two. I guess this is just going to be a demonstration of how high and low those peaks and valleys go for young, high players. And he must be close. Is he in, in the 30, 35 range?
1: He's at 30, just
0: 30. under 30. That's still a pretty significant difference from 40 though, with the rest of the batch. there.
1: Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that has brought Kuzmenko's value down a little bit is his, his age. So too old to be considered for the Calder trophy, too old, probably to surpass the 1000 point mark in the NHL. Obviously that's looking pretty far ahead, but I think that's, that's something that drives up value is the real excitement that you're going to get a player who's going to break records, a player who's going to get into the hall of fame. And when you're coming into the league at 27 years old, it's, it's, it's pretty hard to, to look at that and and expect that to happen. I do think uh, some players get into the, into the league. There's lots of hype. People think that they're, that they're new and they are new to the NHL. uh, And it, it takes a while for people to realize actually how old the player is. And, and by extension, the, the reduced return you might get. So that could be a contributing factor to why his, why his cost is, or his value is a little bit lower than some of these other players.
0: Do you think it played a factor that Vancouver started the season quite hopeful? And the longer and longer the season went on, the more obvious it became that this wasn't going to be a competitive year for them.
1: Yeah, that's I I think that probably plays a factor. I mean the flip side to look at too is he he performed really well and put up some pretty strong point totals, despite the fact he was playing on a on a pretty what you know what turned out to be a pretty poor team uh so so i'm always i'm always unsure but but i think you're i think you're right if if a team is good and generating hype and getting into the playoffs that definitely drives drives up the value so i think i think you're right that could have been a big reason for his his decline in value as well so
0: speaking of young players breaking into the league part of the recommendations i made to you last year was i provided you a list of players prospects specifically that I liked based on my experience as a fantasy hockey writer and it turns out I kind of wasted both of our time with a lot of those. Um, You mentioned when we were preparing the list for this recording. Can you explain to me why and how I wasted both of our time?
1: Well first of all I would say that you weren't wasting our time, you were simply being proactive for this summer podcast limited series so so not a waste just very much in advance and so you had suggested a number of rookies or prospects that actually hadn't shown up on any of the young guns hockey cards and there is a reason that it takes a while for the young guns to get printed and, and produced and really simply if a player hasn't worn an nhl jersey and hasn't played in an nhl game they're not going to have a young Guns card and in pre-covid era it was fairly common to have a player play their first nhl game someone from upper deck would be at that game anticipating them playing snap a photo and within a couple of months their card could be out and printed since COVID has thrown a bit of a wrench into the upper deck supply chain and they're now printing in Italy instead of the United States. It takes probably about, I don't know, four to six months before you have a player's first NHL game and when they appear on, on a card. So one of the things that we're looking at for the upcoming year is that anyone in the draft class, obviously it's a pretty exciting draft class with, Uh, Fantilly and Bedard they will not be showing up into uh, until Upper Deck Series 2 so even though we expect them to or expect Bedard to play you know in in the first first game of the season his card's not going to show up until around February when Upper Deck Series 2 comes out
0: I I can't imagine it makes a difference between regular season and playoffs so as, as long as a player shows up in the team's jersey there's a chance of them getting printed soon
1: yeah, that's a that's a good question. I think there's a couple of good examples of players that showed up late last year or in the playoffs that there's some hype and anticipation for in Upper Deck Series One, which is going to be released in November. So one of those players is Luke Hughes. So we're expecting to see his rookie card come out in November. And his first NHL game was was in the playoffs with New Jersey and Matthew Nyes I think he played some regular season games uh, for Toronto near the end of the year but uh, he really had a bit of a breakout um, going going into the playoffs and we expect his his rookie card will be showing up in Upper Deck Series 1 in November as well so so it's 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 a little bit interesting because pre-COVID Upper Deck Series 1 was where you'd expect to see all the all the hyped, um, exciting rookies uh, first in their draft class. And now what's happening with the COVID era is because that printing time is extended. We're seeing all of the top players in draft class showing up in series two. So Upper Deck may try and correct that in upcoming years, but that's, that's what it is right now. So similarly for, for last year, a number of the players that you had suggested either hadn't suited up in their NHL With their nhl teams or they had suited up but there wasn't enough time for upper deck to print them on a card so now that we're into this year everyone you suggested is now on a card and we can talk about their performance and their value
0: okay so who from my recommendations last year had not suited up yet and are only now available for purchase
1: so there were there were seven that I wanted to talk about, seven that I think are worthwhile. And I, I want to run through this list and and get a sense of what you what your expected value of these of these cards would be, knowing what you know. So the first one is Jack Quinn. Are you as high on Jack Quinn as you were last year?
0: I think I'm about equal as I was last year. He does seem like one of the pieces of the future in Buffalo. He had a half decent rookie campaign, didn't, didn't do well enough to get any called or buzz by any means, but it seems like a solid piece. So it's, it's really going to depend on the price. So, so what's
1: his price right now? So his, his price, and this is as of June 14th. So uh, I can give you some updated pricing, but June 14th, he was $11. How does that sit with you? That seems high
0: compared to some of the players we talked about earlier in the recording process. For example, where you you bought Yegor Chynikov for about fifty. you bought Ty Delandria for two twenty five. you bought Vitek Vanacek for three sixty
1: and Jack Quinn's already at eleven. He is he is at eleven and he has even gone up since then. He's now at thirteen. He's been kind of pinballing around. Actually, when we talked a couple of weeks ago, uh, he was at seventeen dollars. So he's now come back somewhat to reality at, at thirteen. But it's still, it still is a very high price uh, for <laughs> for reasons beyond me. I have to, I have to admit. So, so I'm looking looking to understand why there's been such a such a significant value spike with Jack Quinn.
0: Your guess is as good as mine. I mean, obviously, it's, it's possible that he does earn a top six spot, and he does see a little bit more ice time and some more power play usage, but you can say that about young players all around the league. I don't know why Jack Quinn would be seeing that kind of buzz. Mm-hmm. Is Buffalo a historic, popular hockey card
1: market? I mean, they're probably above average, but I wouldn't say anything anything extraordinary like a Montreal or a Toronto. So, so, no, I don't think that would account for it.
0: I would be hesitant to buy at 12. I don't, just knowing in my limited knowledge about other players available at more affordable price points, I don't think Quinn at 12 would be a gamble I would make.
1: Okay, so Jack Quinn goes down as a non-invest. What about Jack Drury? Jack Drury is at $2.45. He is the second cheapest uh, option on this list. So he is, uh, of the seven we're going to talk about, second cheapest.
0: I am cooled on Jack Drury compared to where I was last season. Last season, he was coming up a really strong AHL campaign. There was some Uncertainty about where Kakhniyemi was going to slot in in Carolina's lineup as in regards to being a center or a winger, but now Carolina is—they were—they were a contender anyways, but now they are a top-tier contender. They've locked in their center core essentially. They're bringing back Jordan stall Sebastian Abo is not going anywhere, and Kakhniyemi appears to be a full-time centerman now, which means that Jack Jury's not going to be getting any opportunity in Carolina so at 245 I just don't necessarily see a lot of opportunity for that to go up or his profile to really be raised this year so even though he was a strong prospect and I think he still is I'm from a fantasy perspective I'm not expecting any sort of breakout or production there so I
1: I'm hesitant to
0: anticipate any sort of hockey card value increase either.
1: Yeah. So Jack Dury and non-invest. And and I think it's a good good point about not expecting a fantasy breakout. Typically I would look when I'm investing in a in a hockey card and thinking of selling. I I usually want to make sure that the player has second line potential or better. Now that's not to say there's no exceptions and someone could crack into the fourth line and be a fan favorite and provide a good return for, for next to nothing. Uh, but really, really to, to take notice in the hockey card hobby, you want to see some pretty significant goals uh, and points to some extent. And you just typically don't get that unless you're a second line player, even with, uh, with some power play time to boot. So, so I think Jack Drury is pretty clear non-invest considering your analysis there. And the next one at $7 is Marco Rossi. What do you think about him?
0: I am buying Marco Rossi at $7. Marco Rossi was a top tier prospect before COVID and has seen his hype definitely decline quite a bit since then as a result of a very tough couple of years, both from COVID itself and the impact that had on his development. But by all accounts, he's going to be making the roster this year. And when we talked about Jack Drury not having opportunity in Carolina, Marco Rossi has all of the opportunity you could hope for in Minnesota. They have established NHLers up the middle, but Rossi's upside is so far, so far exceeds any of their other options. In their system at center right now that whether it's this year or the next year if he gets his development back on track and i'm a believer that he will you're gonna get a lot higher than seven on that investment
1: and just going back to looking for players who are really going to crack second line or the top line do you think rossi has a legitimate chance at playing on that first line in minnesota
0: I think he could be the top number one or number two center this season by the end of the season and long-term.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds like a, like a pretty solid opportunity. So I am also buying Rossi on that advice. Sticking with Minnesota. What about Matt Boldy? He's at 2764. So a pretty penny compared to the rest of the players on this list. Is that worth the investment? So that just tells me I was very
0: forward thinking and very smart last year when I recommended him before he was even available. <laughs> you absolutely were. No question. Yeah. So Matt Boldy at 27 is a little bit intimidating considering that we're talking about players in the two to 10 range otherwise. But earlier in the recording process, we talked about players like Stutzla at 40 and Jason Robertson at 35. I think Boldy's a pretty comparable player in terms of attention and output as Jason Robertson. Jason Robertson's kind of a a little bit slightly higher tier than what I think Matt Boldy's going to achieve, but Mm -hmm. very comparable. Just goal scores, top line, top power play. Like, sky's the limit for him. So 27 is a bit intimidating, but if, if Stutzla is hitting 40 and now up to 60 and Robertson was 35 and then getting up to 50. I think Boldy's going to be making those kind of jumps in the coming years. I could see that 27 turning into a 35, turning into a 40 or 45. So I'm still investing in Boldy.
1: Yeah, no that's a that's a good analysis. And 30 goal score last year. Does he have a chance to crack 40 which is really when the hobby starts uh starts shelling out some big money for him
0: i think boldy could hit 40.
1: all right okay so rossi and boldy are the two investment opportunities so far what about danielle tarasoff at the bargain price of two dollars
0: so i'm proud of this recommendation and normally I would instantly say, yeah, I'm sticking with it. But you advised earlier that goalies are not good fantasy investments. So should I should we be talking about Terasov at all?
1: I think goalies can be good investments, although I would tend to say you're right. Certainly long term, I think it's really difficult to invest in a goalie and expect them to, to continue to rise. That being said, it's it's also really common for a goalie to go on a hot streak and double in value for the course of a couple of weeks and then come back down to the typical range. So if you think that Tarasov is going to have a run where he maybe gets player of the week, sort of lives in the 9.50 save percentage area, I'd expect that card to go from $2 to $4 that week. And if the selling is timed right, then obviously that's a that's a great investment. So uh so short term, I don't mind investing in goalies. Do you think he's capable of doing that next season?
0: I do think he's gonna be capable of that. One because I don't think the crease is locked up in Columbus versus Lickens has been pretty shaky for the last two seasons. So I think it's completely reasonable to expect Tarasov to to steal it for a few weeks at a time so not only might you be seeing hot streaks you might be seeing times where the consensus is that Tarasov is becoming a, a tandem goalie rather than a backup and that may that may be true long term because he's posted historically good numbers throughout his development so this he definitely seems like a goalie that will have hot streaks and have prolonged opportunities so yeah, as long as you're monitoring that and you're able to cash out on those peaks, I'd say go for it at two bucks.
1: Nice. Okay. Next one on the list is Alexander Holtz at $9.50. What's your thought on him?
0: The to Jack Quinn, I'm not exactly sure what he's done to deserve that high of a valuation. Hasn't been particularly notable since being drafted. He came with some pedigree, but Hasn't really proved it yet, and doesn't seem like he's going to have much opportunity to do so in New Jersey. I don't think you're cracking that top six with with Toffoli and Meyer there, and he's definitely a high upside prospect. But at nine fifty, I think there's a lot of risk there of another year of stalled development just due to lack of opportunity, and that that number. Creeping down, make, making it a a lost investment, and just hoping for a good enough breakout to recoup the losses. I'm I'm not sold on bolts at 950 right now in his current situation.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And like I said, these are these are values as of June 14th. And I just went to check on on his on his current price. Uh, he's down at around seven dollars. So I think I think your analysis there is pretty pretty astute. I expect that other people are taking a look at the projecting lineup and, and not seeing a lot of room for him to break out in any way, shape or form next season. So probably a no buy on Holtz. And the last one we have on the list is Thomas Bordalo at $2.85. So uh, another relative bargain in the list. Is it worth the risk?
0: Honestly, this seems like the biggest wild card in the bunch because I don't think anyone really knows what the heck's gonna happen in San Jose next year other than they're gonna be bad. Like I have no idea what to expect out of anyone on San Jose. It seems like the entire roster is pretty much up for grabs in terms of where they end up playing. Bordalo came in as a prospect playing mostly center rights, but last year playing with San Jose was mainly on the wing, so I don't I'm not even sure they figured out where Bortolo is going to be playing. For a bad team, they're relatively strong up the middle with Couture, Hurdle, and Sturm at one, two, three. So as a centerman, he's not going to be worth any investment right now. Even as a winger, he'd have to really lock in a surprise top six spot to see any movement this year. It just seems like an unnecessary investment at this point until we have a better idea of what San Jose is going to be doing with all their prospects that haven't really shown anything yet.
1: Yeah, that, that makes sense. I I definitely have some serious hesitation about investing in any, any San Jose player at this point. So I think that's, that's good. We've come out of that with three, three good investment opportunities, Rossi, Boldy, and Tarasov. And of course, mid July is the best time to buy. So. I think uh, I'll be looking at probably picking up some some young guns of those players in the next week or two. And I also wanted to talk to you since mid-July is the best time to buy about other players that you might've identified that have reduced hype right now, but you think are really going to impress in the upcoming season. So maybe players that that had a pretty poor showing a season or or were or we're injured, weren't able to play to their full potential, but players that you expect to, to break out next season and, and see their values rise. I want to back up on that. Why is July a good time to buy? Yeah, good question. So July typically is a good time to buy because everyone has forgotten that hockey is, is, is a sport. Uh, the playoffs have ended you know, a month or so ago. And right before the season starts, or even before the preseason starts, that's when things start heating up because people are getting excited about new players coming into training camp. There's more news coming out about potential team lineups and uh, who will be playing where. So, there, you know, I think I think there is some exception uh, if if there's a big trade that goes down in the in the summer and probably see a see a spike that might not be a great time to buy but in general people just aren't aren't paying attention and they aren't as interested in in the hockey card market so if you're looking at ebay prices you're just going not going to see the same amount of people placing bids you're not going to see the same amount of traffic trying to trying to get any of these cards so that's a good it's a good time to see if you can find a bargain or two that makes sense
0: If I name some players, can you do a quick search, tell me what their values are at, and I can tell you whether or not I think they're worthy of consideration?
1: I absolutely can.
0: All right. So one player on my list has been in the news recently after being traded is Sharon Govich, now of the Calgary Flames.
1: So his value on his Young Guns rookie card is... Two ninety-five.
0: So this seems like a pretty solid investment opportunity to me, because if the NHL has taught us anything about sunk cost fallacies, (laughs) it is that the GMs do not want to look stupid. So after trading a prime trade piece into Foley for this kid, I should I say kid, but he's not as young as other prospects out there, he's very much an NHL player at this point. I think he's going to be put in every position to succeed, to try and build faith in Calgary's new management. He seems like a lock that they'll be instructed to give top line time to, or top six at the very least, top power play most likely. I mean, coming in in the $2 range, I think that's
1: that's an opportunity for sure. That's a good note, and I think trades can really shake up the course of the value, and so I think that's a that's a great opportunity. any any other ones on your list?
0: Another player on my list, as soon as you mentioned to me under the radar, undervalued, I thought of Josh Norris in Ottawa. This is a player that was one of their very top prospects, probably second behind. Stutzler maybe third behind Sanderson as well, but a top prospect, tons of success as a prospect, but missed most of last season with injury. So is completely off a lot of radars right now, fantasy wise. But when he's healthy, he is a legitimate number two centerman. And Ottawa has the top six depth right now to put top six players in a position to succeed. So What's
1: Norris sitting at right now? Norris is at 1275, and this has actually been a card that I've been interested in for for quite some time just because he was a player that, uh, like you said, had a significant amount of hype associated with him. Uh, And so I guess the question is, at 1275, has the hype come down enough to make you think this is a solid investment at this point?
0: That's a tough one. $12 seems just about right. Mm -hmm. The only thing that's giving me pause there is the rise of two other centermen in their system, Shane Pinto and Ridley Greek, that both saw NHL time last year and both looked pretty good. So when it comes to being kind of a fan favorite, having that factor alongside, I don't think there's any guarantee that Norris is going to be the the number two to Tim Stutzler when it comes to fan favoritism. So I'm a little bit reserved on that front. That being said, Josh Norris is on a seven year contract right now at $8 million. He is going to be put uh, in a position to succeed. So maybe I don't sink all of my eggs in the Josh Norris basket in mm-hmm. case he gets injured again. But at 12 bucks, he definitely seems like he could climb up to maybe like below Matt Boldy level. So maybe call him a, a $20 guy is what I would expect.
1: Okay. And just, just to make things a little bit more difficult, Josh Norris is, like I said, at 12 Shane Pinto is at $4 and 60 cents. So essentially you can have three Shane Pintos for the cost of one Josh Norris. Do you have a preference about who to invest in between the two of them? Shane Pinto managed 20 goals as a rookie,
0: which is impressive. He did that, a lot of that time spent in Josh Norris's spot. So this is an interesting hypothetical you've proposed because not only is it investment-wise one or the other, it might be literally one or the other. Mm. in terms of who is actually there getting those points and scoring those goals. It really comes into whether or not you have a connection with Ottawa's doctors and (laughs) can gain some insight into Josh Norris's injury history, because when healthy, I'm picking the more proven prospect every day of the week. And that's Josh Norris, who's not a prospect anymore. He's a second line NHL centerman, but at a low price on Pinto, I I think that's maybe worth as a safety backup investment, because I don't know if that's a plus or a minus from an investor standpoint, but knowing that you have the backup should your plan A fail, maybe that's a silver
1: lining. Yeah, definitely nothing wrong with hedging the bets that way. Anyone else who's flying under the radar that's worthwhile taking a Taking an investment, huh? I expect
0: this player's card is still valued relatively high, but I think has maybe lost some of the hype in the last couple of years without a reason. Tell me about Jake Gensel's value right now.
1: Jake Gensel. That's an interesting one. So far from, from the prospect realm, and he is actually one of these players that doesn't have a true young guns rookie card but the one that's most associated with his his rookie year is $53 oh wow okay
0: yeah i'm going to pretend i didn't bring that one up it's going to be hard for me to anticipate getting so getting higher than $53 right now
1: yeah that's that's an interesting one so just to go into that a little bit why do you think he's under the radar and why do you think he's due for a bit of a comeback or take notice season?
0: I feel like when Gensel hit 40 goals for the first time, he just started hearing his name more and more. And then during the shortened seasons, he seemed to keep up that hype. And then he hit 40 goals again in 2021 22. He dipped down to around the 35. Goal mark last year and Pittsburgh obviously was quite disappointing last year in a year that they were hoping they could keep the band together make one more run at it and then failed to I expected that his value might have taken a hit there as a result of Pittsburgh's overall decline that being said it's pretty clear that Pittsburgh's gonna keep doing the best they can while Crosby and Malkin are still on the the roster and Gensel's the number one winger that's going to get to roll with them. Um, not to mention that he's in a contract year, currently getting paid mm. $6 million and due for quite a raise after this season. So it seems like a bit of a perfect situation for Gensel to produce this year. But that being said, $50 already, that is kind of, the price you expect of a forty-goal scorer. So, I'm not sure if the the ceiling on this one is necessarily that high compared to where the the floor might be if Pittsburgh beefs it again. And
1: yeah, I think the issue with Gensel is that he's he's kind of been around. You know, he's not old by any means, but he's been around long enough that i think his value is more or less stabilized he's kind of established that yes he he can be a 40 goal scorer uh he's very capable of of having a strong year especially with with uh you know Crosby and Malkin he and he is close to that point per game played mark and so i think once you've been in the in the league for you know seven seasons I think the fluctuation starts to slow down in the in the card value a little bit, and so I think that's partially why some of the some of the younger players they just seem to have quite a bit more fluctuation. Probably there's a bit more uh, opportunity for the younger player to have a, a big spike in value, or also a, a big decline in value because because they're more of an unknown. So I think Gensel is you know potentially a good. A good investment i like i like that i like that suggestion i think probably any change in value is going to be in the 10 to 20 percent range as opposed to some of the younger players which pretty routinely see uh, their values double or have so i'll bring it back down to some younger players
0: and knowing what i now know about players having to have suited up to have cards available for them i have a few names on my list that are going to qualify as probably first release of the year for young mm. guns mm-hmm. that I think are people to keep an eye on. First name on my list here is Ty Forrester in Philadelphia. Mm. So I'm guessing there isn't a card available yet. So this is an unknown starting value, but if he enters the system at Let's say the $5 mark or less. That's definitely a card I'm investing in. He seems to be a pretty key part of the future in Philadelphia that's entered a true rebuilding phase. So they're going to really be giving him lots of time to shine. He'll probably be showcased quite a bit to keep people optimistic about Philadelphia's future. So I'd definitely be keeping an eye on Ty Forrester. The other one, a player that might have a card available already because he saw 11 games in 2021-22 and then 23 games last year and that's lucas reichel in chicago does he have a young guns card already
1: yeah so this one this one is a really interesting card because so this card i think was trading at around six to seven dollars earlier in this year and Connor bedard got selected by Chicago Blackhawks, or I should actually say Chicago won the draft lottery, and immediately the value tripled. So it's now at $18.75 for Lucas Reichel. Uh, obviously, a lot of hype that he might be playing with Bedard, and that presumably that's going to really Im- increase his his production and, and his value. So the hype is very high for him right now, uh, certainly compared to what it was a few months ago. What, what do you think about that and the Bedard effect is, is there still room to grow from this 1875 value or is, is he really peaked out because of the Connor Bedard selection?
0: I'm not sure if this is a situation where he's peaked out. I think this might be a situation where his price just jumped early So rather than seeing a pretty steady increase in his card value as he naturally breaks out as a prospect, I think that kind of just sped it up because the chances of him having that breakout have now been increased by Chicago winning the lottery. So I definitely believe in Reichel as a prospect, and I do think he would have reached that $18 value naturally, even if Bedard wasn't there. So at this point, I think it just becomes a higher risk investment than it would have been before. I still believe in him. I would have invested in him before, especially at $6, I would have been all over that. Mm-hmm. But now I guess you have to have that faith that he's he's going to get where he's already projected to be. Now, I do think that Chicago's Prospect depth is good, but not so good that he's going to have to be scared for his spot down the road. I think he's going to be a firm lock in their top six during Bedard's prime years. That being said, Chicago, through free agency, seems to be angling towards surrounding Bedard with as many veterans as possible to shield him as much as possible. And that's probably going to apply to Raichel as well. So the opportunity might not be there right away with so many veterans in the lineup there to ease Bedard into the lineup. So I feel like investors might get a little bit scared seeing Reichel sitting at 18 and not seeing it rise from there right away. I think it might take a year or two for that 18 to go up once the actual production matches this expedited value bump. But I do think you will get there.
1: Okay. Yeah. Good, good to know. That was, uh, that was a pretty wild, wild ride for the, for the card there. And I was just uh, too late on that, on that bandwagon to, to make any good on it. One other player that I wanted to throw into the segment was Cole Caulfield. He's a, obviously a well-established star player, but he had his season shortened last year due to injury He's at $75, which is a pretty high price to play pay. And that's because of a huge hype that he's he's had previously. But the injury undoubtedly hurt his value a little bit. Do you think at $75 it's worth getting in on this card? $75, that becomes I think the most valuable card mentioned
0: in this recording.
1: We had we had Slavkovsky at 80, but I think other than that. You are correct.
0: 75 is a hard sell. And, and it's tough because Caulfield is a legitimately good player. But if injuries become a part of his career, that's that's going to drop significantly. One, he's not going to get as much hype as a player when he's not in the lineup. And two, his chances of hitting major thresholds with the team aren't going to happen. Uh, You mentioned earlier players that break records, players that hit 40 goals, things like that. Those aren't going to happen for players that are injury prone. So playing 67 games two years ago, playing only 46 games last year for $75. I want to see proof of concept that he is going to be an 80 game player and be a threat to put up, big seasons that get that attention that you mentioned because i think everyone every hockey fan on the planet agrees caulfield could hit 40 goals but
1: i don't think anyone
0: thinks he's going to hit 40 goals in 50 games
1: yeah 75 is a bit rich for my blood uh so i'm i'm tending to side with you on this one probably is more of a more of a wait and see it's just not just not low enough, even though the hype has gone down, it's just not low enough to to warrant a, a significant investment. So Connor Bedard is probably the most anticipated player since Connor McDavid. And of course, everyone gets very excited when there is a quote generational talent coming up because that means lots of action on the hockey, hockey card market, lots of good investment opportunities. And so looking at investment opportunities, one of the best investments I think you can make is in unopened hockey cards. So if, if you buy a a hockey card box and you just let it sit around, even if it's in a pretty average year, uh, that's something that you can count on going up in value. But if you can get it in a great year, let's say Connor McDavid's rookie year, that box is going to go up probably five or tenfold. So an upper deck box that sold for around $99 eight years ago when Connor McDavid was a rookie goes for around $1,000 today. So, So my question is, should I be throwing all my life savings at... Upper deck boxes with Connor Bedard rookie cards potentially inside and selling them five or 10 years down the road and hopefully making a 500 or 1000% increase? Or is it possible that Connor Bedard is as disappointing as Alexis Lafreniere, whose boxes I think a lot of people invested in expecting this massive return? And he's, of course, turned out to be a huge bust. So I wanted to get your sense on, could Bedard turn into a Lafreniere? What does Bedard's production look like compared to Lafreniere's? So you talk about a 2015
0: box going from $99 to $1,000. How guaranteed is a McDavid card in that box that's causing that that value spike over time.
1: It's interesting because the odds are not great. It's about a one in eight chance. So, you know, to buy a McDavid rookie card on its own is probably around $2,000, depending on the condition and that sort of thing. But certainly, if you're playing the odds, you would be better off just to buy a Connor McDavid rookie card. But I think people want the excitement and the thrill. At a, you know, if they're buying one box at a potentially discounted rate, of of a thousand dollars, uh that's that's an option that a lot of people go after, and and I think that's one of the reasons that I, that investing in boxes is enticing to me is that people really will pay the premium for whatever it is the p- potential in in lower cost, the excitement of it, uh, getting a getting a fresh out of a pack, which is you know you're expecting that to be in the best condition you would over, over a used card or something that's already been pulled out of a pack. So there is a huge premium on these boxes, despite the fact that, like you say, there's not a, it's not a great chance. It's a a one in eight. I'm, I think
0: most people are of the belief that Bedard's going to be much more like McDavid than Lafreniere. His style of play is obviously much more exciting and dynamic. Even when he was a number one overall pick and a consensus top two pick at the time, Lafreniere really was sold as a grinder type of player. I don't think he came into the league with anyone expecting 100-point years from him with his play style. I think he was projected to be a really solid top-tier player that can play in all situations, whereas Connor Bedard is a human highlight reel coming into the league. And Chicago is a humongous hockey market. And by all accounts, he has what it takes to start producing right away. So in Connor McDavid's first season, he scored 48 points in 45 games. That's obviously the upside for Bedard. I don't think anyone's expecting that, especially on a team as dismal as Chicago looks like they're going to be but I don't know a limited first season even though Connor McDavid's points per game was outstanding in his first season his overall totals were lower than what his upside ended up being because of injuries so when it comes to Connor Bedard's long-term value and whether or not you invest I'm not really that worried about what his year one looks like whether he gets hurt whether he stays healthy whether he puts up 50 points or more than that because McDavid did boxes are valued at a thousand dollars now. And I don't see any reason in the next couple of years why that hype surrounding Bedard wouldn't, wouldn't project the same McDavid did at the time. Obviously the upside of being a 150 point player is going to be hard to match. So maybe a thousand dollars is is more than you can expect. But if if Lafreniere boxes are still breaking even three years later, then I'm absolutely investing in boxes that could have Bedard in them. It, it seems like a little bit of a, a no-brainer. I feel like it's a trick question.
1: It seems seems like a no-brainer to me as as well. And you know, just going back to something we talked about earlier in sort of having the having the backup, Adam Fantilli is going to be in that same box. And, you know, if for some unlikely reason, Bedard doesn't pan out, you at least have a very strong rookie class behind him that you may get a surprise in some of the other players in the class. And that could, of course, add to the value of the box, or at least provide some sort of counterweight if Bedard doesn't turn out to be the generational talent that many of us are expecting him to be absolutely that's a really good point because second after lafreniere
0: was Quentin byfield who so. also hasn't made a significant impact at this point. point third was tim stutzla who is becoming a star mm-hmm. but not a generational talent type star so again if if that year's box is more or less breaking even as an investment Three years later, I am absolutely putting a little bit of money into this year's class, knowing what kind of upside exists for generational talent and at the very least some top tier talent between Bedard and Pantilli and Carlson.
1: Yeah. I really think that, you know, you could in the, in the hockey card hobby, like I said, the the boxes are probably the one place where you really can't go wrong because even in a, in a bad year, you're able to get your money back. And in a good year, you can you can really improve the value of those boxes.
0: After all that rambling, Kyle and I wanted to do one last insert here to squeeze some borderline educational value out of this. After all of those topics, what would you say are our true lessons learned to utilize as card buyers?
1: Well, Hayden, I'd say the biggest ones are... First, prices decrease in the summers and peak early in the season. So plan your spending wisely. Uh, You always want to make sure that this trend is actually occurring. It's not 100% of the time. So do your research first. Another one is young players who are promising but not projected to be superstars. Preseason and early season are the best times to cash out if they catch a wave of hype. So when they do, sell, sell, sell. And last. Superstar players do tend to hit another level of value once it becomes evident that they are on pace to have milestone careers such as a 1,000 points, franchise records, etc.
0: We also established that forwards should really be the focus of your attention since defensemen and goalies just aren't bought and sold as often. And even though there is a general Hockey Hall of Fame induction bump, this defenseman and goalie rule is still in effect for those players
1: absolutely and you taught me the fantasy hockey rule of thumb about player breakouts happening at roughly 200 nhl games played thank god my fantasy hockey background could actually contribute to this a little bit (laughs) more than a little bit thank you for listening everyone and best of luck with your card investments this season and beyond